uh, Paul says, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. So he was looking at the social reality in the room, so to speak, through the lens of gospel doctrine and noticing that the culture did not, you know, cohere with the doctrine. So it's a way of seeing first and foremost, because I, I only say that because I, I really like, you know, techniques. Give me some steps. Give me some, if you do this, then this will happen. Yeah. But first I have to see differently. back to You're Not Crazy, Gospel Sanity for Young Pastors. I am here with a very special guest. I'm Ray Ortland, but I'm with Pastor T.J. Timms, who is lead pastor of Emmanuel Church in Nashville. T.J., we're, th- we're overjoyed to have you here. Oh, man, it is a privilege. Yeah, this is great. Thanks for having me on, taking a big risk. This could really go sideways. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, <laughs> not with you involved. <laughs> with me? Different story. Now, what we want to do in this episode is think out loud together about gospel culture at a ground level, because the pastors and others who are sharing this with us, who are listening right now, um, who doesn't want to be part of beauty? Yes. Who doesn't want to be part of safety and gentleness and magnificence, Mm -hmm. human magnificence? That's what every church uh, is meant to be by the grace of God. So we all want this, mm-hmm. and we're all wondering, how do we get there? Yeah. How do we get traction? And um, so I'd, I'd like us to talk about that today. Plus, you are my successor at Emmanuel Church. So actually, what we can talk about as well in so this— So I must be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is— how gospel culture can can be passed to the second generation yeah. of a church. Yeah. So that it's not just a phase, but something that gets even richer and deeper and better. Yeah. Okay. TJ, when we talk about gospel doctrine, gospel culture, what are we talking about? Well, the the simplest place I think to go in scripture is to Romans fifteen seven. Um, yeah. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So welcome one another. I mean, that's gospel culture. Um, that's the the horizontal dimension of grace. And as Christ has welcomed you, I mean, there's the vertical gospel doctrine coming down to us from heaven. Um, so, that, I mean, I, th- I think that's basically what we're talking about. Welcome of Christ translating into the welcome of one another. I am so fascinated by Romans fifteen seven um, because it, he pulls so many significant things together in one verse. Mm-hmm. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So where can the glory of God be seen in the world today? That's right. We can see it at the Grand Canyon, the Swiss Alps, and so forth. But we can also see it by getting in our cars Sunday morning and driving down to church. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what do we see there? What of the glory of God do we see? We see people welcoming yes. one another into their reality. This is not saying, uh, the verse does not say, say hi to one another as you're walking in from the parking lot to the sanctuary. Yeah, that's right. It doesn't work because you can't say, say hi to one another as Christ said hi to you mm-hmm. for the glory of God. He did a lot more than that. That's right. Yeah. He said, I want you in my heart. He pulled us in. TJ, those four words, Christ has 
welcomed you. Amazing. This is in Romans 15, and Paul is summarizing in four words all that glorious and robust theology of the first major section of the book of Romans when he explains gospel doctrine. Christ has welcomed you. Christ has not just tolerated us. That's right. He has welcomed us. And that changes how we treat one another, how we perceive one another. So in in a gospel-centered church, we have not only great theology, but we also have magnificent relationships mm-hmm. where we're saying to one another with our words and our lives and our attitudes, I am so glad to pull you into my life. Yeah. I would feel I would feel impoverished if you were not in my life. Yes. And and as you just pointed out, Paul attaches the ultimate purpose of reality to what's happening there, glory, the glory of God. And it's not like there's a plan B. This is a one alternative uh, alongside of others. I mean, it's really similar to what Jesus uh, commands in the new commandment, John 13, 34 and 35. By this, all men will know you're my disciples, by your love for one another. As if to say, here is the mark of my love in the world, your love for one another. Okay, that prompts me to remember what's at stake, what we're not talking about when we consider gospel culture is a glaze of superficial niceness that's right poured onto the surface of robust serious christianity Mm -hmm. but we're saying that gospel doctrine creates gospel culture such that gospel culture is just as much a matter of authority as is gospel doctrine that's right that's right and and i mean we can go so far as to say as as you have said, that gospel doctrine minus gospel culture is actually hypocrisy. We we can undo our preaching yes. with our unwelcoming or our unloving. And not even realize it. That's right. Francis Schaeffer used to speak of the two orthodoxies, orthodoxy of doctrine mm-hmm. and orthodoxy of community. That's right. They're so intertwined inseparably. So yeah, gospel culture is is the is the glory of gospel doctrine being made visible and experienceable and real to people in the beauty of human relationships. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think, you know, to get into our ground level, uh, how, how do we cultivate this at the ground level? Gospel culture really is first and foremost in the pastor, a way of seeing um, in Galatians 2, um, which you know John Stott called the most dramatic moment in the New Testament when the Apostle Paul publicly confronts the Apostle Peter about his hypocrisy, um, it's certainly the most awkward moment in the New Testament. Um, Paul says, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. So he was looking at the social reality in the room, so to speak, through the lens of gospel doctrine and noticing that the culture did not you know, cohere with the doctrine. So it's a way of seeing first and foremost, because I, I only say that because I, I really like, you know, techniques, give me some steps, give me some, if you do this, then this will yeah, happen. Yeah. But first I have to see differently. I have to actually look, be able to look around me and see things through the lens wow. of, of the gospel. TJ, I've never seen that so clearly. Paul says, but when I saw, he had eyes he had a filter, he had categories with which to perceive what was actually happening. Yeah. My goodness. And 
Galatians 2 <clears throat> has been messing with me for 40 years. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, uh, yeah. And it deserves a lifetime of thoughtful consideration yes. and meditation. When Paul confronts Peter, he does not say to him, you need to work on your manners. Yeah, that's you right. need to polish things up because you could be more courteous to these Gentile believers that have entered in. What he says to Peter, in effect, is you are betraying the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Yes, I do not nullify the gospel. Yes. he Peter was, in the gospels, Peter betrayed Christ fearful for his physical survival. Mm -hmm. There in Antioch, according to Galatians 2, Peter betrayed Christ again fearful for his social survival. That's right. Fearful that his preaching invitations would be canceled, mm -hmm. that his status, his celebrity status as a pastor would be diminished. That's a very real temptation for every pastor. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And I think part of the way, part of what helps me to cultivate gospel culture real time is just this sense of this awareness that I'm meant to be looking around and basically asking myself the question, is this a gospel culture environment? I mean, what's actually happening in the room? Taking responsibility, in other words, for the social reality in oh, the room. TJ, that is so profound. In other words, okay, so I'm a pastor. I walk into church on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. I walk into the sanctuary. Maybe it's 10 or 15 minutes before the service. I'm greeting people and I'm sensing what's in the room. Yes. And so you're saying, if I understand you correctly, that the primary question uh, or, or what I'm putting, my, I'm putting my finger on the pulse of the room. Mm -hmm. I'm not thinking, well, I've got a ministry plan. I'm going to go execute this service plan. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. We have a plan. We want to That's right. be prepared and steward the moment well. But the primary question is, what am I sensing? What am I seeing? What am I perceiving? Yes. And inevitably, we see people walking into church, and it's almost clear from their body language, they feel they have to be on their best behavior. Mm hmm they feel they have to perform. They feel they have to look a certain way. Yes. Because this is church. Now, we pastors who have apostolic eyes, I saw that their conduct, we want to notice that. Mm -hmm. So, all right, here's a question. It's 10 minutes before the service begins, and you're greeting people, welcoming people. You're, it's, you know, you're, you're caring for them. And you're sensing some of them are uncomfortable. Some of them obviously don't understand how the grace of God fills this moment. Yeah. They're walking in expecting this to be church as they've defined that. Mm -hmm. They're not walking in expecting to experience the grace of God. Yeah. So as a pastor, what, what can we do to help people turn the corner, so to speak, and dare to believe this is going to be an experience of divine grace for the undeserving. How do we help people yeah. Yeah. go there? Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, in a way it's, it's there, there, there's a lot of right answers to this question because there are so many ways to welcome people in, but the sensitivity that uh, almost no one feels like they belong. Yeah. Almost everyone feels like an imposter. 
And, you know, so if it's before the service, I want to be the, um, the, really the lead greeter in the room. If I, I, I'm looking for the person who looks like they feel the most out of place Mm. and I want to reel that person in. I want them to know that I see them and that I think they belong there. And of course, in the, in the service, in the call to worship, especially, I just want to lay out the heart of Christ to all who are weary mm-hmm. and try to, by the grace of God, um, knock over that objection that is going to, that, that basically says, I don't belong here. And it's going to keep someone off kilter the entire time thinking I'm on the edge of something that's for somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, who, who doesn't need that? I need that. Yeah. I'm the preacher and I need yeah, that. That's right. I do too. That feeling, this is for the others in the room, but not for me. That feeling can keep people from Christ himself. That's right. We have no right to allow that barrier, that that self-invented barrier to stand. Mm-hmm. But we want gently, and and you know, detonating a nuclear explosion underneath that person is not going to help. No, no. But gentleness and reassurance can help. We're not going to destroy the barrier. We're going to melt the barrier. Yeah, that's right. And then people might dare to believe they can have Christ too. Yeah, amen. It helps me. Um, I think about a verse like... Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, when Paul's talking about what he did and what Apollos did, uh, he planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. And he goes on to say that um, that you are God's field, God's building. One of the things that really helps me uh, to cultivate gospel culture is to deeply receive from the start, this is God's work. Mm. And he is he is doing his work. And I am making a very real contribution. I don't want to diminish that. It's the most serious thing going on in my life, participating with God as a fellow worker. Wow. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I was so moved recently to see um, uh, a, at the, at the bottom of a memorial to John and Charles Wesley in Westminster Cathedral is a quote from Charles Wesley. And he says, uh, God buries his workmen, but continues his work. Hmm. So I'm swept up in, I'm caught up in something far more profound than just what I can accomplish in my own lifetime. Mm. I'm participating in a work that is so massive, only God can undertake it. Mm. And so here's how that helps me on a Sunday morning. I'm looking around. I'm not actually trying to generate the energy. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to join in with what God is already doing. And part of what that means is actually pointing out what God is already doing. So it, it's not uncommon, uh, for instance, here's a great way to cultivate gospel culture, to notice that God has done something in someone's life this week. And maybe they tell you that before the service starts. And then before the sermon to, you know, kind of lovingly embarrass them a little bit, <laughs> uh, not, not really embarrass them, but point out this wonderful evidence of grace that has taken place and recount the wonderful deeds of the Lord. And it's like the form of reality in the room changes. Yes. All of a sudden, God is not, there's not a distance between us and what the Lord is doing. We have actually entered into reality with God. Wow. The awareness of that. That's glorious. Yeah. So, I mean, really, we're just, gospel culture is what Jesus is doing. 
I mean, he has not stopped extending his welcome. And we are just joining in there with him and noticing yes. what he's doing. He has not stopped extending his welcome. Wow. Everything. We're staking everything on that. Yes. Now, there are discouraged pastors listening to us right now who, way down deep, and it might be difficult even to admit it, mm -hmm. way down deep are fearing my church is God forsaken. Mm. The Lord has turned his face away. There are no evidences of grace. And I would say to, to that pastor, um, why don't you ask the Lord this week to show you with unmistakable clarity that would convince you and be reassuring, one evidence of God's grace and one evidence of God's presence and God's purpose of glory for your church. Mm -hmm. Dare to ask the Lord for it. If your church is not God forsaken, ask the Lord to help you see that. Yes. And then give yourself permission to rejoice yes. over that. And then you'll see something else. And then you'll see something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you're there, Pastor, you're there in that church. Maybe it isn't healthy, but neither is it God forsaken. And you are in that church as an unmistakably wonderful token of God's purpose of grace for that church. Um, God is not wasting your life. God has sent you there to that church in its need. And he sent you in your need because Christ has enough grace for you and for your church. Why not, in defiance of every discouragement, dare to believe that? Mm -hmm. And ask the Lord to prove it to you because as you said, TJ, the Lord's the one doing the work. That's right. Yeah. Okay, so... You're talking about something of real magnitude here. I mean, it's reducible to moment-by-moment -moment reality in the room mm -hmm. 10 minutes before a service, sure. right? Okay, yeah. but it's also intergenerational. And yeah. talk to us about um, how Emmanuel Church walked through a pastoral succession mm -hmm. uh, in 2017, 18, 19. Yeah. The point being, we wanted... Not just to preserve gospel culture, but yeah. to enrich it and deepen it. Yeah, well, it. I think you you just hit on one of the really, one of the things that really worked is that it did take three years. Oh, yeah. And, you know, maybe some of that's a size dynamic thing, depends on how many people you have to take from point A to point B. That's true. But when we're talking about a, a pastoral succession. I mean, essentially what we're talking about is the handing over of hearts and affections. Mm. And those, those things don't change quickly and they shouldn't. I mean, that That's wouldn't be a good, a good sign. Yeah. Um, it takes, so it takes a while. I would, I would say that was one of the healthy things. It, it was a non-pressuring mm. and it allowed for the discovery of, um, you know, uh, affections and respect. And I felt as if I wasn't on the hot seat, you know, to, well, he better perform that people had time to get to know me. I had time to get to know them. I mean, here's something that doesn't get talked about often. I needed time to discover that this was my calling. I mean, I knew it at one level, but until the, the people of God um, embrace me and call me and recognize me as the next lead pastor, then I can't feel fully affirmed in that role. Mm, so that true. took that took some time. I, I think the the gospel culture aspect of it was it was gentle. And 
one of the things that I, I think, so there's, there's getting to, here's, here's something we discovered in hindsight. Wasn't maybe wasn't such a great planning, but we didn't know we'd never done this. Yeah. Um, the end goal really isn't when the handoff happens and, you know, now TJ's installed and Ray's celebrated. Um, then you have a whole nother push on the other side of that. So I think we were, maybe we put the goal line in the wrong place, uh, but the Lord, you know, he just helped us and just showered the whole thing with grace and mercy and gave us more energy than we deserved. Um, but part of what helped turn the corner, because every pastoral succession is like turning a corner, you know, mm -hmm. part of what helped turn the corner is we had what I still think is the best party I've ever attended. Mm. And we celebrated what oh, God had done through and with Ray and Janie Ortland at Emmanuel Nashville and everybody, I think it's safe to say everybody within the sphere of our ministry felt we have really rejoiced in, mm. in the Lord for Ray and Janie. We have celebrated Ray and Janie mm. and that you need that settledness of conscience to it's know that you've taken care of the people you love so that you can turn the corner and yes. sort of, you know, lock arms with another lead pastor because it's so personal. So, yeah, I, so you're free at heart to say goodbye. Yes. And, and embrace the new era. Yeah. Acts chapter 20, you know, they embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful. Most of all that they wouldn't see his face again. Huh. You know, so we need, we need that. That's the way that, that we think when we're noticing the social, you know, reality in the room and how the gospel is shaping it. I was struck too uh, at we didn't call them congregational meetings. Yeah, I who wants ate, to sign up for oh that? Oh my goodness, it's like <laughs> getting, uh, going to the dentist. Um, we called them family gatherings. Yeah. Now that sounds like something I'd like to go to. We had multiple family gatherings along the way, lots of Q and A, lots of open microphone, mm -hmm. lots of prayer, incremental, significant information along the way. Incremental decision-making. Yes. So you were elevated from a, a assistant pastor to associate pastor, mm -hmm. from associate pastor to lead pastor elect. Yes. From lead pastor elect to lead pastor. Yeah. And each one was by a congregational vote. So the buy-in went deeper and deeper and wider and wider. And yeah. it was... It was just glorious. I remember a guy saying, how many times do I have to vote on you? <laughs> but it was so helpful. It was great. God was so merciful. Okay, well, we're thankful to uh, Crossway Books yeah. for sponsoring You're Not Crazy, Gospel Sanity for Young Pastors. We're thankful to the Gospel Coalition for providing the platform for the podcast. TJ, what's a Crossway title that you would like everybody to know about? Yeah, well... Almost everybody I know, at least, has heard of um, Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. I think a very important book is the follow-up book that Dane has written, Deeper. Because that theology that we love of the gentle and lowly heart of Christ, yes. we want to we want to walk through that doorway. Dane mm -hmm. opened it up, and now mm -hmm. Dane is essentially saying, let me help you walk deeper, Interesting. walk through that door. Yeah. I, I can't think of anything more urgent, really. Yeah. So if Jesus is gentle and lowly, how does that reality help us grow? Mm -hmm. And in deeper, Dane shows that we don't grow and change and go to a better place in life 
through supreme self-mastery, mm-hmm. but by just going deeper into who Jesus really is. That's right. Yeah. And we'll never touch bottom. Yeah, that's right. So we recommend Deeper by <laughs> Dane Orland. Thanks, guys. See you again soon. You're Not Crazy is a podcast from the Gospel Coalition, hosted by Ray Ortland and Sam Alberry, produced and edited by Andrew Lapara. Check out more podcast shows from TGC at tgc.org forward slash podcasts.